The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now, here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Well, welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show EDU edition for this week. We're going to uh, kind of uh, dissect another uh, news article as part of this show, and it's it's an article that came out not too long ago on uh, Market Watch. For those of you who read some of their publications, and uh, um, we're going to share our thoughts on how we would approach a client case uh, similar to what's being described in the article. This article they interviewed a lot of other advisors for their opinion on how to answer some of this couple's questions, but. Um, I think it uh, will kind of lead us down the path of how we would view it, not necessarily you know, this, the same as other advisors, and the other advisors might be better or worse in their overall evaluation, but our opinion of how we would attack some of their concerns uh, that are posed in the article. So Jim is the one that came up with the idea. I think it's a, a good one because I think it will give us a, an opportunity to kind of describe the practical application of our approach and philosophy on retirement planning. Um, that's where we're headed on this particular show. So. Did you just give me a compliment un, un, unbeknownst to yourself? It just kind of flowed out naturally. Um, wow. Yeah. No, I, I think uh, I haven't read the article. All I'm looking at is the <laughs> the title. Um, but I, I suspect it's going to give us a lot of food for It will. This is, discussion. folks, Chris and I, Chris hasn't even seen the article. Literally, I just sent it to him about 30 seconds before we started. And I read this article a while ago. I saved this article. Um, it's been in uh, from July 16th. So a couple, of, uh, a couple of weeks ago it came out. And I just thought exactly what Chris just said. Food for thought. We're going to, I'll read the question that Market Watch got. Uh, some guy named Quentin uh, answers questions for Market Watch. I have no idea who Quentin is. But... Um, I'm going to read the question, and then I'm going to read the answer. And most of the advisors who were referenced in the article approached this particular person's or couple's question from the traditional retirement planning approach of a safe withdrawal rate, Monte Carlo-based probability statistic type approach. We're going to uh, approach it from 
our approach to retirement planning. That's all. I actually have nothing against the answer that was given. I I think some of the advisors quoted in the article gave good answers and some gave so-so answers, but none jumped out at me as, oh my God, this is crazy. This is wrong. Um, Similar to that other article that, that we did not too long ago where I thought there was some poorly worded phrases in there and just some blatantly wrong information. I don't think there's anything blatantly wrong in this, Chris. But I told Chris I want to approach this as if this person was writing to us and how using what I call the fun number approach to retirement planning uh, would help these people look at things perhaps a little differently. That's all we want to do today. Uh, does that sound okay. good so far, Chris? Yeah, I think, it, I think that'll work just fine. Okay, so <clears throat> I will read the question again. It says, Dear Quentin, no idea who Quentin is, but I'm guessing he's someone who answers questions for Market Watch. My husband will be retiring at the end of August after working a high-pressure job for 31 years. We're both 64. Both of us have health insurance under my old plan. I will work until I turn 65 when I will be eligible for Medicare. Together, we have one and a quarter million in tax-deferred retirement accounts, mostly held in securities. So we would call that, folks, one and a quarter million in always taxable retirement accounts. And if you could, Chris, because I don't have my calculator mm-hmm. handy, I am in the attic, folks, at the office, and it is like 90 six degrees outside and i'm in the attic and chris is in an air-conditioned room something's wrong with that picture can you just do a breakdown of always maybe never taxable chris percentage wise of how much of their assets as i read these total amounts so we'll have them so they have one and a quarter million folks in always taxable that would be iras 401ks 457s things like that We like to call them always taxable rather than tax deferred just because it drives home the fact that when you take money out of these accounts, you're always going to pay taxes on it. In some slight cases, you may have after-tax basis in those accounts. We won't get into it on this show. So technically speaking, some dollars from these accounts might be a tax-free return of your original principal. But for the most part, Money coming out of a 401k, a TSP, a 457, 403b, traditional IRA, they're all going to be always taxable. We spoke on the last show, in fact, the IRS calls it IRD, income with respect to decedent. Money that has not been taxed yet, income taxed yet. So it won't even receive a step up in basis at death. It's always going to be taxable always going to be taxable as income. Okay, another 250000 in Roth, which is what we would call a never taxable account. We concede, theoretically speaking, if you don't take a qualified withdrawal, you could pay taxes on some of the growth inside a Roth, but it is so easy for a retiree to do a qualified withdrawal. You just have to be over 59 and a half and your Roth has to be at least five years old. It's not really hard to do and the Roth will be 100% tax free. So we always put Roth monies, folks, in never taxable. See how easy it is to understand? Never. And they have 250000 in that. 
And then they have another 125,000 folks in what we call maybe taxable accounts. Those are brokerage accounts. The reason we call them maybe taxable, you may pay taxes on them, you may not pay taxes on them. It depends. If you just sell, say, a specific share that has lost money, you might end up realizing a loss and getting just your basis back out. So you could take a massive withdrawal and pay no taxes on it. Or you could manipulate your income, stay in the uh, the 12-15 bracket, and have tax-free cap gains and still pay no taxes. So that's why we call a brokerage account maybe taxable. You may pay taxes. You may not pay taxes. With that breakdown, Chris, what is there always maybe never tax diversification? Because in my back-of-the-envelope calculations, it ain't too good. Well, yeah, it's, I don't know. I think that's premature okay. in the judgment. It's it's not too good if they're going to have tax issues down the road, and we don't know that quite yet. And we might not discover it from the article, but uh, looking at their totals here, it's about 76% in the always taxable category, about 15% in never taxable, that Roth you mentioned, and then about 9% in maybe taxable. So the vast majority are in that always taxable bucket, which is actually very common for retirees in this day and age who've lived most of their work life in the era of 401ks and IRAs rather than defined benefit pension plans. Perfect. I still would put in the category, it's not ideal tax diversification, but Chris is right. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get nailed in taxes. It's just that they don't have much tax diversification. If you had greater diversification, we'd love to see uh, almost a third, a third, a third. It's not perfect that way, but that would be wonderful because then you can manipulate your payments somewhat to stay in certain tax brackets or to qualify for ACA premium tax credits. I don't believe this couple is necessarily going to need to do that because they just have, they're already 64, so less than a year, they're going to be on Medicare and the ACA premium tax credits isn't going to matter. Yeah, and she's on, and they're on her employer plan and right now. they're on now her anyway, employer so. plan already. But I'm talking in generalities also for listeners Having for yourselves, having better tax diversification makes trying to qualify for ACA or trying to avoid IRMA a lot easier. Or it makes being able to do massive purchases in one year a lot easier. It just gives you better flexibility. But if you have 70, 80, 85, 90% in always taxable accounts, especially if your dollar amounts were greater than what these individuals have. Uh, we we have listeners and and people that we've seen with three, four, five million dollars in always taxable IRA accounts. They're going to get hit hard with required minimum distributions and future taxes, which will push them up into Irma. So pay attention, especially you younger folks who are, who are uh, listening and planning your own retirement. Those of you in your thirties and forties, look for better tax diversification if you can do it. Uh, because it does help out uh, in the future. Okay. At our age, our, oh, wait a minute. I missed a part. Oh, and they own their own home, no mortgage, Chris, mm-hmm. with a uh, $400,000 um, 
current mortgage, excuse me, $400,000 current value, no mortgage. At age 70, our combined Social Security payments are projected to be a little under $7,000 a month. They don't add any clarity of what their Social Security claiming strategy is. Are they both waiting to 70? Is the lower wage earner spouse going to be turning on at 67, which is going to be their full, actually 66 and something, for their full retirement age? When they hit their full retirement age, are they both going to wait to 70? No guidance. It just says at age 70, they're going to be getting about $7,000 per month. They also expect an inheritance of a million dollars sometime over the next 10 years. But they have decided not to include that in any calculations they do. I'm going to pause here and let Chris opine on this because often we do that exact same thing with people we're working with. Yeah, it's going to be completely driven by the preferences of the client if they want to include something or not. Certainly some potential inheritances have a much greater chance of happening and a more predictable amount in in some cases and others are kind of who knows what it's going to be and who knows when it's going to happen. Those I definitely encourage people to kind of leave out initially. But if it's, uh, you know, if you have a, a, a parent that's, that's quite elderly and there's really no conceivable way they could spend through the rest of their assets, I think it's reasonable to include it in many cases. But it's, it's a judgment call. And, um, you know, a, a couple will have to make a decision like these have, and they decided to leave it out, which I think is perfectly fine as well. Alrighty, so she continues. Both of us have longevity on our side. All four of our parents are either in their late 80s or early 90s. And between us have three grandmothers who lived well over 90. We have shared priorities of family, health, maintaining our current standard of living, making charitable contributions, and having some inheritance to pass to our children. I'm hoping to work part-time in retirement. And while my husband does not reject that idea, it's not high on his priority list. At least not now. Let's pause there and add a little of our uh, color, if you will, to this. A couple of things that jumped out at me, folks. The husband right now doesn't feel he's going to work part-time. He just entered retirement. This is new. It would not surprise me if two, three years into retirement, he does look at going back to work. Think of it this way, all you Vanguard VGs. I know you love to do it yourself and save your assets and and grow your wealth, but you also had successful careers, most of you, if not all of you listening to at least this podcast. And to just walk away from that, from that sense of accomplishment you got. You may not like having to go to work every day, five days a week, eight hours a day. And if you're commuting, the commute time and all the downsides of working. But I can only look at myself now as I speak to you, unfortunately, from the body of a 60-year-old man. I passed, I hit my birthday yesterday, as a matter of fact, folks, and I had my Chocolate cupcakes with cheap white frosting. It was wonderful, Chris. Thank you very much. How did you know that I wanted chocolate cake with white frosting? You, you must know I, me really well. Just a hunch. Just a hunch? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, well, you hunched well. But my point is, folks, even though I'm 60 
and I sit around thinking, oh, gosh, I wish I don't feel like going to work today. I do feel like that sometimes. I also know I would be bored beyond belief right now if I was retired. I just love the sense of accomplishment that I get. There may be very stressful days here at the office. Chris will attest to that. And there's a lot of wonderful days at the office, as as any work is. But if I wasn't doing it, I think eventually I'd get bored. Even if I was filling my time with hiking, gardening, hunting, fishing, all the things that I love to do, I think eventually I would get bored. I like the sense of accomplishment. What I want is a more flex schedule. I don't want to have to be involved in the day-to-day operations of the firm, yet I am, and I will be for quite some time, I can tell. But ideally, and Chris wants the same thing as I speak for him, and and he'll opine in a second, but the, the two of us want to get the firm to a point where we're not necessarily having to be here all the time that the firm is working well on its own. We're not there yet, but we will be someday. But I have no intention of fully walking away from this because I don't think I can go my entire life where I ran my own landscaping business, then I became a cop for eight years and and, and did that, which is a very interesting career to say the least. And then for the last 23, and by the time I get to a phase in my life, it'll be 30 plus years when I finally start trending into my own retirement, but I want to be able to contribute. So it wouldn't surprise me if this gentleman goes back to work like his wife is already thinking. Most retirees, especially early, yes, they want to get out of their system, that initial go-go, but many successful people who really, if you talk to them, loved their career, it's going to be hard for them to fully walk away. They just want a little bit of assurance. The older them wants the insurance from the younger them. The promise in exchange for the permission. They just want to make sure the older them will be taken care of, their spouse will be taken care of if they die first, but they might still want to contribute. So that was one thing that jumped out at me um, on there. Also, they did indicate they would like to leave assets to their children, if at all possible. In our approach to retirement planning, what we call the fun number approach to retirement planning, we created a concept that I have termed the see-through portfolio. And we'll, we're going to use them as an example on it in a second. But it, part of the see-through portfolio concept is to break that portfolio of yours up into the spending that it's going to be assigned to. So when I read that, Chris, I'm just thinking, oh, goodness, in a positioning plan, if we were going to create a see-through portfolio for this couple, there would be a guaranteed inheritance line. And how much do we want to guarantee? Do you want to guarantee it through uh, risk pooling? In other words, the leverage of life insurance where you just pay a certain premium, but you're going to leave a permanent life insurance policy to them? Or do you want to guarantee it by actually subtracting money out 
of their nearly one and a half million of liquid assets, perhaps two and a half million of liquid assets if they get their inheritance, do you want to subtract dollars out specifically and earmark them off to the side and do not spend them on any type of fund? That's what I got out of those two paragraphs. Did anything jump out at you? Yeah, the main thing I wanted to mention, and this could be a show unto itself, this discussion about longevity, so we don't want to derail it uh, today necessarily, but I would warn people who don't, they said they do have longevity in their family, so they're going to be particularly sensitive to it, but those of you who don't have longevity in your family, be very cautious about using that assumption for yourselves. Your parents and your grandparents grew up in a very different era of medical care and nutrition and things like that. And, and um, you know, many particular grandparents had much more physically demanding jobs, which can tend to reduce life expectancy as well. I would still put forth a plan for yourselves as you're doing your own planning in your 60s as if you're going to have longevity. I think using family history as, a, as an excuse to only, you know, come up with a plan where your money lasts until you're 80 or something – I think that's very dangerous. Now, our approach happens to deal with that in a very specific way through secure income for the most critical needs, but just wanted to call that out. And then before I hand it back to Jim, I just want to warn him at the pace you're going through this article, there's no chance we're going to get through it in the time we have. So you might want to cherry okay. pick or we can bring or this up into multiple shows yeah i don't yeah. i don't want to yeah. to to cut our readers short i yeah. want to not our readers our um listeners yeah. i'm reading they're listening uh, so if it goes into two so be it folks you know me that's the way we work we we roll with the punches that way here on the show okay okay i'm writing i'm continuing with the mm-hmm. the email I'm writing to address philosophical differences in our thinking about managing and using our retirement funds. I'll pause there. This is definitely going to two shows. Chris, have we ever had a couple with philosophical differences? It is very common. It is very <laughs> common. Some, um, some with that didn't realize their differences and some that maybe had some very uncomfortable conversations as a result of realizing those differences. In other words, we've had couples that realized once they started, you know, looking at their retirement that they had very, very different views on how a retirement would look and uh, uh, cause some stressors in the relationship. But, you know, to say so, you know, absolutely there can be philosophical differences in approaches to retirement. Right. My point is, folks, that's not abnormal. No. We see it constantly. So don't think, oh my God, we're married. We've been married for 20 years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, whatever the case may be. We should see this together the same way. Absolutely not. Not even close. We see it all the time. What you have to do is meet in the middle somewhere. But anyways, I just wanted to to pause there. All right. I'm writing to address philosophical differences in our thinking about managing and using our retirement funds. I'm more conservative. Given that we will likely have 25 to 30 years in which to live on our retirement savings, I am concerned about preserving as much of the principal as possible, especially in the five to six years before we start drawing Social Security. Yeah, I know. We'll, and that's we'll, diametrically opposed to reality, in my yeah, opinion. We'll, we'll talk about it. Let me finish this mm-hmm. last sentence. That's why okay. this is going to take two shows. Yep. My husband, while not proposing anything too wild, does want to use the money to do things like travel and fund 
family gatherings. Mm -hmm. He says this is exactly what we have worked and saved all these years for, and that while we are in good health, this is the time to take advantage of the opportunities. Let's pause there because there's a lot of moving parts here, folks. And it's one of the reasons I came up with the fun number approach to retirement planning. Both of these concerns that these individuals have are common. There's nothing wrong with them. I think they're both right to a degree. The wife is worried she might live 30 years. Anybody could, especially in her case, because she's, she's relying on family history to say, hey, geez, look at all the family members who have lived a very long time. I could live another 30 years. There's nothing wrong with that train of thought. I, I do disagree a little with the thought that let's be conservative now at first because we might need it later. The husband's approach is probably more in line with our thinking, but it is not saying the wife's approach is wrong. I think her approach to retirement planning could be a little different. I'm a little biased there because we like our approach. And that if the wife had a better idea of what her fun number was, if she knew... The, the, the thing I picked up on, Chris, is, is she's saying we could live 25 to 30 years in which our... Retirement savings has to last. Mm -hmm. If she had a bottomless cup of coffee, she would not be worried about running out of coffee. She doesn't have a bottomless cup of coffee in her retirement picture. She has a finite amount of coffee. Longtime listeners know I'm referencing minimum dignity floor and secure income. That concept. The woman is approaching retirement with a huge uncertainty. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know how much money I'm going to need. Remember the person I shared a story about who walked into my office many, many, many years ago when he was ready to put about a quarter of a million dollars in an income annuity. And he said, this is hard. And I shared with you, I thought buying the income annuity was going to be hard for a quarter of a million dollars. And he said, no, retirement. And he started talking similar to what this woman, a decade later, is saying. I could live 20 years. I could live 25. I could live 30 years. I don't know how much money I should be spending. I don't know what the markets are going to do. There's so much uncertainty here. I don't think we should spend on fun. And the issue is, you don't know how long your go-go phase is going to last. The husband has embraced the go-go phase. He just wants to go out and spend the money. Hey, that's what we have it for. Let's just go spend it. The wife feels a little uncertain. That's how I'm interpreting this. What are you interpreting, Chris? I think so, too. And it's I think uh, the right approach actually addresses both of their kind of priorities, if you will, both of their concerns. That um, if given the right reassurances and the right foundation to a long-term longevity-sensitive retirement plan, which would address her fears, then you can more confidently do what the husband wants and, and, and know what your limitations are in that regard. Right now, the husband wants to do this, but I bet if you asked him, he'd have no idea what is, what is uh, too much 
uh, you know, to go out and splurge and do these things while they're young and healthy. But how much is too much? That's a big question, a question that most approaches to retirement planning don't directly address. Um, ours happens to, because that's how it was designed to address this specifically. But uh, yeah, I think there's a, a, a blended approach that could satisfy both of them in this case, which isn't always going to happen. But I think there could be a win-win in this kind of a you know situation. Right, because... The husband is approaching this dramatically different than the wife, and he may spend much too much or much too little. We've seen that before. We've seen people share with us, this is what I want to spend. This is what I think we can do. We crunch the numbers, and we're like, oh, my God, these people are going to run out of money. They're spending way too much on fun. And conversely, we've seen just as many cases as we, we start the analysis of these people could spend three times as much as what they think they can spend. So without having clearer numbers, the husband, even though he's more willing to spend on fun, he needs to get a better understanding of his nearly, again, 1.6 so million of assets, maybe 2.6 million with the inheritance. How much can they truly spend on fun, especially in the go-go phase? So he continues, or the, the wife continues, because she's the one uh, who wrote this. Okay, with the projected Social Security payments, my husband argues that even if we significantly draw down our retirement savings early on, our withdrawals will be scaled back once we turn 70, which he says will be a chance for our remaining principal to rebound at least to some extent. I do want to pause there because we want to talk about that, but something just popped into my head from the previous segment. The wife doesn't want to spend any principal, and that I'm against. Our fund number approach to retirement is designed, I designed it so people would feel comfortable eating principal. This notion that you're only going to, especially in low interest rate environment, and even though interest rates have gone up, we're still below 4% on the 10-year. It's still not going to generate a whole heck of a lot of income, especially with just 1.6 million. I'm not downplaying that amount, but as Yogi Berra once said, a dime ain't worth a nickel anymore. And 1.6 million isn't the same as when Gilligan's Island was out in the 60s and there was the millionaire and his wife. Today it would have to be the billionaire and his wife. That's inflation, folks. 1.6 million isn't what it used to be. It's a very good amount. Do not get me wrong. But the fear of spending principal is, it, it amazes me, but I'm not a behavioral finance expert who can go into the minds of humans and understand why they fear it. But I think it's based on the fear of the unknown. Just like that person who said to me, retirement's not easy. To the wife, she just doesn't know how long they're going to live and what they're going to need, so she doesn't want to spend anything. If I can't earn it in earnings, I don't want to spend it. And now is the wrong time early in retirement when you have the health, inclination, desire, and ability to enjoy your go-go years. Now is not the time. Chris says this constantly, the thorn in his side. 
slide on the Monte Carlo probability-based statistics approach to retirement planning is by time the advisor who's proposing this approach figures out you could spend more on fun. What's happened, Chris? You're much older, and especially when you're starting retirement at essentially 65, oftentimes it's a good seven to 10 years into retirement before your advisor will feel comfortable calling you with the good news. Oh, it looks like you can spend more than we thought because things are trending better than the, you know, the averages we were looking at before. You're on, you're on the positive side of the distributions and things are looking good. So go ahead and do it. And I can't tell you how many times he's going to get a response. Well, well. The response that people probably want to give him. It's a little late now. Yeah, why don't you right? tell me that seven tell years me that ago? Before my spouse was, you know, broke her hip or you know, you know, whatever. You know, things happen. Things happen, and things that uh, derail your go-go years happen at an accelerating pace once you get past your mid-sixties. It just is the fact of life. So maybe you're going to be lucky enough that you'll be healthy and active through your eighties and nineties. Great, but assuming that you're always going to be in that case and you're not going to regret having inappropriately restricted your fun early on when it, when you then realize later you could have had more fun, um, that's concerning to me, <laughs> to say the least. Exactly. Again, another reason why we favor the fun number approach or what we call the fun number approach. And our approach to retirement planning, folks, we get it. It's not for everyone by any stretch of the imagination. It's just that we like it and it's what we've built our firm on. So that's why we're going to talk about this from that approach. If you are a do-it-yourselfer and you've done your Monte Carlo projections and that's how you want to project your retirement, that's fine. We just are going to answer this question, or not necessarily answer the question, but opine on on a, on this this article uh, from the approach of our secure retirement income process, which essentially is the fund number uh, approach to retirement. Did you pick up also, though, Chris, uh, in that that paragraph, what the husband was saying? He was essentially defining that they will spend more. During what we have termed, folks, the delay period. Mm -hmm. Yep. That period of time between now, 64, they are both 64 years old, between 64 and 70. We defined that period of time, not necessarily 64 to 70, but in this example, it's 64 to 70. But it's from retirement until all your secure income is turned on. Nobody in their answer addresses secure income in the sense that we do, folks. But as I was reading this this, uh, article, I'm thinking in my head, okay, they never mentioned pension. Their only secure income, their only bottomless cup of coffee is Social Security. Mm -hmm. The husband is acknowledging, hey, During this delay period, we're waiting to turn on Social Security to get maximum benefits at age 70. I'm under the impression both spouses are waiting to 70. She gave no indication otherwise in her email. She only referenced age 70. I would be a little against that. I'm I'm thinking one spouse may have wanted to claim at the full retirement age, most likely the lower earning spouse, and the higher earning spouse waits to 70, but that's just a generalization. We have no direct knowledge of anything beyond what I'm reading in this email. 
But during that delay period, the husband acknowledges to his wife, yes, we're going to be spending more during this time period because we're delaying our Social Security to get more. So we're going to be spending more. But once the Social Security turns on, the money that we're spending is going to stop. Well, distributing. Distributing. Yeah. And, and spending. They're going to distribute it to spend it. The money that we're going to be spending um, or distributing to, to cover the Social Security that we're delaying will stop. And theoretically, if they don't spend it on anything else, will continue to grow. Now, in our approach to retirement planning, the concept of the see-through portfolio, we would line there $1.6 million up on the screen in front of them. Most of the time we're doing this over Zoom or, or Chris would be doing it over Zoom, not me anymore. And the $1.6 million or so that they have would be right on there. And he would subtract out in dollars, in inflation-adjusted dollars, especially with such a short delay period of six years, 64 to 70 he would just extrapolate out from the data in the software. Here's what we estimate in inflation-adjusted dollars you are going to need to fund the delay period. And he would pull that right out of the $1.6 million. The husband would see the balance drop. The wife would see the balance drop. But they would then know, okay, that makes sense. We need these dollars over here off to the side to cover the delay period period, leaving us X number of dollars remaining to do other items with. That's the theory behind the see-through portfolio concept, folks. They have just $1.6 million, which is a good amount of money, don't get me wrong, but they can't see into it. It's this murky, big $1.6 million. They don't know how much of it they can spend. The husband wants to spend more. The wife doesn't. The wife doesn't know how long she's going to live. And the husband is saying, hey, we got to enjoy this while we can. But they haven't really looked into the portfolio. I think if they could see into it and start breaking that $1.6 million up and getting some clarity, it will give them an idea of how much they could spend on fun. And wouldn't it be wonderful, Chris, if we could get both the husband and the wife on the same page to say, Wow, out of our 1.6 million, I'm going to make this number totally up. Out of our 1.6 million, 800,000 of it can be spent on fun. And of that, we want to spend 75% of it on our go-go years. So out of their $800,000, I'm trying to do the math in my head right away, but what's that, about 600,000? 600,000 or so. We're going to spend on fun, and we are 64. And our go-go phase, we're going to estimate to be 6 to 10 years in length, which would be typical 70 to 74-ish or so for this couple before they start to slow down. Now the wife might have a little better understanding. If we showed her, if we could show her that your food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care expenses, your guaranteed inheritance, your aging reserve because you worry about living a long time. And as I start thinking of all these items, 800000 is probably a little bit big for the fund number, unless you include this million-dollar inheritance, which is going to be a, a big part of their discussion later, as you'll see, folks, when we continue this article. 
But can you start to understand, listeners, part of their uncertainty is they don't know what in the hell it is is in front of them. They just see this big glob of 1.6 million. And if they're do-it-yourselfers, they got it invested in a 60, 40, 70, 30, 80, 20, 30, 70, whatever the mix is. Or if they're working with an advisor, the advisor has it in some mix. But there's no direction to it. They just don't know what it's supposed to do. And it's causing all this consternation, anxiety, and uncertainty. Just open up the blinds. Let the light shine in. I don't know how many more analogies or euphemisms I can use. That's the issue with retirement planning in this country today. It's opaque. It's not clear. It's 4%. It's 4.7%. It's 4.1%. It's 2.9%. It's 3.6%. My God, 2.7% according to Harvard. Who the hell is right that you can spend? It's asinine. Let's talk about what your needs are. What do you want to do? She talks about an inheritance to her kids. What do you want to leave them? Maybe the equity in the house is fine. That was never even mentioned. Maybe that's fine. Let's leave them the house. Now you got $1.6 million that you can direct to other things. Or maybe you want to leave a stated amount. Just the uns- You want to leave money to your kids? Well, how much? Because whatever you don't want to leave to your kids, you could spend on fun. Unless your goal is to be the richest person in your row of the graveyard. But in our approach, we want you to be the person in the graveyard, the spirit, if you will, who never shuts up about all the fun they had when they were walking the face of the earth in retirement because they spent like drunk sailors on shore leave at the beginning of their retirement during their go-go phase because they figured out what their fun number was. Because they give an explicit promise to the older them that their food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare expenses will be covered with a bottomless cup of coffee, otherwise known as secure income, social security, pension, and I know the evil word, income annuity. But that surety to that person who walked into my office almost a decade ago, that surety that he had before he sadly passed away much too soon, but that surety that he had for a decade that those income payments would continue. Now, he didn't know he was going to pass away in a decade. He could have lived for two decades or three decades. He didn't. But the surety that he got allowed him to spend comfortably while he was still on this earth on other things. I felt he should have been spending more. And, and I, wish, I wish to God we could go back in time and I could have got him to spend more because neither he or I ever imagined he would die so soon. But it did happen. But he did feel comfortable spending on fun once he knew his bottomless cup of coffee was set up. I think that's the big issue that I'm taking from this, Chris. There's no clarity. What are your thoughts? I'll shut up. No, I think this the case as it unfolds as you're reading it kind of begs for an approach, if not like what we do, something similar to that. Because I don't really um, know of a traditional way, a traditional approach uh, to this that's really going to directly answer their questions. Maybe it gets them feeling good enough where they feel comfortable, but to, to directly address their questions, it really is going to come down to 
can you get the wife to feel comfortable and then also have a limit on the husband so that the husband doesn't propose spending that is too great, which jeopardizes the safety and security that the wife is looking for. What is that middle ground? And um, I've been kind of skimming through the article a, a little bit ahead as you're talking, and I don't see anybody directly addressing their questions. They're falling back on some more traditional approaches with a you know safe withdrawal rate kind of concept, which here's a classic case for how the heck is it appropriate to use a safe withdrawal rate percentage when their first five years of retirement look so different than after that. Because if you restrict your distributions to whatever percentage you want to make it, 3%, 4%, whatever it is, imagine what that's going to cover when you have no Social Security compared to what that's going to cover when you turn 70. Are all these people that are proposing a safe withdrawal rate essentially saying you can't really have any fun until you turn on your Social Security? Yes, that's what they say. You know it and I know it. That's that's. Right. Yeah, the, and that's, the, the, what got me going. Sorry right, to interrupt yeah, you, no. but folks, Chris just hit my nail on its head. Uh, hit my head. Hit. I think Jim just hit his own head. <laughs> hit the nail on the head. You didn't hit me yet. You probably want to, but we're in the other room. This is why I came up with it because it just. It's, I'm, I'm going to calm down and just say something, folks. I have sadly had to say goodbye to too many of my clients far earlier than either of us ever thought. And so much of what they wanted to do, they never got done. Now, that doesn't happen to everyone. But when you only work with retirees, when you only do distribution planning like this firm does, we probably see more of our clients passing away or being diagnosed with medical conditions far greater than the average financial planner. And I encourage people to spend on fun because your life will change in an instant. And I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, right? Said it right this time. Mm, nice. But my stroke happened in a second. Now, I lived, obviously. I recovered fully, obviously. But it was a major stroke. And I shouldn't be here, according to the neurologist. He's amazed that I am. But it happened so fast. And that's what we see. And now that you've read more, you know where the answers are going. And it, that's why I want to talk about this. It irked the hell out of me. But yes, that's the industry. And you're right, Chris. So spend less. And then all of a sudden at 70, when Social Security is on, your 4% or whatever safe withdrawal rate you're going to assign some random number based on some random study, whether it's a study from 40 years ago out of an Excel spreadsheet or some new modern study from Morningstar, irrespective, some random study that I know all you type A personalities just love. Some academic study devoid of any economic reality. And you're going to unnecessarily curtail spending on fun. Because mm -hmm. most of that distribution you're restricting yourself to, unless you have vast amounts of money, that's a whole different category, not what they have. If they restrict themselves to the level of distribution a traditional safe withdrawal rate would suggest, their minimum dignity floor is pretty much going to suck up that distribution. 
So it, the, where things get extra is then when Social Security turns on. And so there might be people out there saying, okay, have them turn on the Social Security earlier, which is what a lot of advisors do so that they can say, well, you can have fun because now you got Social Security and your safe withdrawal amount. But then they're jeopardizing the long-term longevity protection that's provided with an inflation-adjusted secure income source like Social Security. Is that really the solution? I think maybe not. Right. So you can kind of see why we wanted to talk about this. Now you're getting me all excited. Now you get right. And we have to say goodbye, I think. Have we hit an hour? Pretty. We should probably start winding it down. Yes. Okay. Let me finish the question. We got a little bit more. And then next week, we'll get into the answer. Okay. So he, meaning the husband... Uh, let me let me pick let me back up a little bit more so case because we went on a little tangent there. Um, bu- 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 I am more conservative than my husband. Given that we will likely have twenty five to thirty years in which to live on our retirement savings, I am concerned about preserving as much of the principal. No, 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 folks, spend your principal as much of the principal as possible, especially in the five to six years before we start drawing Social Security. Let me word that another way. I am concerned about preserving as much of my fund spending and reducing it as much as possible during my go-go years when I have the health, inclination, desire, and ability to enjoy myself. That's essentially what she said. She just didn't know she worded it that way. My husband, while not proposing anything too wild does want us to use the money to do things like travel and fund family gatherings. Let me put that in another way. My husband, while uncertain exactly how much we can spend on totally discretionary fun things, recommends and strongly encourages us to spend on travel and family gatherings, especially early in retirement, while we have the health, inclination, desire, and ability to do so. That's essentially what she just wrote for both of them looking at this in the mirror opposite. She just didn't word it that way. But that's essentially what she said. My husband says this is exactly what we have worked and saved for all these years. And while we are in good health, this is the time to take advantage of our opportunities. Her husband is saying, in other words, folks, during our go-go years, we're going to have three phases, folks, of fun spending. Go-go, slow-go, no-go. Not from us, from a different Stein, Mike. Michael Mark Stein, I believe. No, Mark Stein isn't he a talk show host? I don't know. There's some guy named Stein, but not Chris Stein. Um, he came up with these terms many, many, many years ago. We just borrow him. Sadly, Mr. Stein has passed away. But go, go, slow, go, no, go. Acute, they rhyme, but they truly do capture the essence of fun spending. Early in retirement, you're going to spend like drunk sailors on shore leave, but eventually, Because of either aging or health or a mixture of both, you will stop spending on fun and start spending less. It's no good to miss your go-go phase. It's the last, the last time ever, folks. You don't get to a certain age where you get to return to go and start over. This is your last hoorah. I'm not making it up. It is. You can sugarcoat it all you want. 
The wife is essentially saying here she wants to sacrifice her go-go phase. And I'm telling you why. It's because she has no clarity to her 1.6 million of assets, possibly 2.6 million if you count an inheritance. She just doesn't see through it. The husband doesn't see through it either. But he's just chomping at the bit to go travel and spend some money on family because he's understanding this is the last hurrah. But from her own acknowledgement, he's not doing anything too wild. We're sitting here thinking, well, maybe he could actually do more than he's thinking. Or maybe what she doesn't consider too wild is actually far more than they can afford. Again, there's no clarity. So even the husband can't figure this out. And finally, he, meaning the husband, feels that not taking our likely, and here you might want to say something real quick, Chris, because I know this is something you counsel with people all the time on. And finally, he feels that not taking our likely retirement, excuse me, our likely inheritance into consideration does us a disservice, given that it also comes with the responsibility of making additional choices. My husband worked hard, and I don't want to put a damper on his enjoying retirement, but I don't want that enjoyment in the early years to negatively affect our wants and needs in our later years. What are your thoughts? My thoughts, before Chris goes into the inheritance and wraps up, my thoughts, uh, listener, well, you're not a listener, you probably don't even know we're answering your question, uh, but reader who wrote into Market Watch, my thoughts are the younger 64-year-old you has yet to receive permission from the older you to spend on fun because the older you has yet to receive confirmation that you have made an explicit promise to take care of their food, utilities, transportation, housing, and health care. You're missing the boat. You've got the, you can't see the trees because the forest is in the way. You need to get some clarity on all this. You need to see through. And that's what we'll cover in our response to the answer next week. Chris, why don't you wrap this up with the inheritance? Because this is an issue that you deal with on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, everyone will have to decide for themselves what they're comfortable with. There isn't one answer that everyone should follow as far as dealing with something like this. But I'll share with you what are some fairly common ways that I think people have found a good balance. One is to... Um, First, recognize how old the parents are. They said, you know, all four parents are in their late 80s or early 90s. Now, I know they have longevity, but assuming that you're going to get an inheritance sometime in the next 10 years when they're late 80s, early 90s is probably a pretty good bet, honestly. You know, but I wouldn't rely on something like that that's still just got a probability to it to fund something critical like your minimum dignity floor. I wouldn't look at that and say, hey, there, that's, how, what's, that's what's going to come to the rescue to cover our food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare later. Uh, because there's still some uncertainty behind it. Maybe, you know, in the late years, they're gonna, th- those parents are going to burn through more of it than you expected, and it's much lower, even though you might get something. I would propose maybe using it for something that's got a little more 
wiggle room to it. Maybe that's an appropriate place to use uh, identify for this inheritance they're talking about for their own kids. Essentially say whatever we end up getting from our parents, half of that is going to be to the kids. That plus our house will promise, you know, kind of to leave the house behind, something like that. Uh, or maybe that million dollars and or whatever it might be, uh, they can fold into their aging or LTC plan, which we really didn't talk about much in this case. So, um, you know, whatever's comfortable for you as part of the plan uh, to address some of those things, it might be appropriate uh, for that. And that might then give you the, the permission to spend more of your own assets earlier because you don't, you're not trying to, to get that inheritance to your own kids as part of that 1.6 million. It's going to be kind of more, oh, variable depending on what you end up getting from your own parents. I see that as very common. You know, whatever we get, we're going to pass on all or some portion of, and that'll be the inheritance to the kids. Once we get it, we'll just put it off to the side and hold it. Uh, if something really bad happens where we have to use it, I'm sure our kids will understand. But, um, you know, that gives us enough relative certainty that they're going to get an inheritance that we're comfortable with that. Um, so I think in their case, because of the ages of the parents and the size that we're talking about, the million dollars, um, if they think those are reasonable to plan on, I, I wouldn't feel bad about including it, but I would tend to encourage people to use it to meet certain goals in their retirement that by their very nature have a little bit of flexibility or, or are way off into the future or or you know something like along those lines. So that's kind of how I would view that and, 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 and talk to people. A lot of times my job in talking to people is to throw out ideas that have come from other clients that have come up with methods and I'll throw out, Hey, I, you know, somebody in a similar circumstance, this is what they did. You might want to consider that or this other couple did this over here. You might, and then, you know, one of those maybe will resonate with you and it'll fit well within your overall plan. And that's what you then move forward with. Um, so yeah, so we're, this is a perfect time to wrap up and we'll dig into maybe how, you know, specifically, <coughs> excuse me, specifically how we would, uh, you know, utilize or, or bring forth our specific approach to, to planning uh, in order to address uh, what they have. I think, you know, we kind of alluded to it uh, and, and mentioned pieces of it, but I think Jim probably wants to lay it out in a more formal way. Um, next time and touch yeah, on it. Yeah, we'll and, read through mm-hmm. the answer and yeah. they and Quentin does mm-hmm. a good job in his answer. He's mm-hmm. a very good writer. But it's totally approached with the more traditional way to manage retirement. We're going to read the answers. We're not going to rip into it. We're just going to say, okay, that's one way, but here's how we would encourage people mm-hmm. to look at it. Yep. And then you guys as do-it-yourselfers, you might take a little bit of what we do, a little bit of what that advisor over there does, a little bit more over the over here does. You're going to design something that fits for you. We're not saying you have to fully buy into our approach. And it's not so much pushing our approach, but explaining why we don't like the current approach to retirement planning. And if you haven't figured it out, just like Chris somehow miraculously figured it out, I want a chocolate cake with white frosting for my birthday. I don't know how you did it, Chris. But if you haven't figured out, we just believe as a firm, you should spend on fun during your go-go phase while you can. And to me, it's like you always say, Chris, for most of you listening, running out of money is not the issue. It isn't. You're not going to outlive your money. Not spending enough on fun 
is just as big a failure, though. Everybody fixates on the failure of outliving your money. Somebody with $1.6 million who clearly that wife has a good handle and, and would probably put the brakes on her husband if need be. She has control of their finances. They're not spending like drunk sales on Shirley. She didn't write how they're going to run out and buy a Bentley and go on around the world cruise. This woman isn't going to let their assets run out. Now, some could argue LTC could mess this up. But with a million-dollar inheritance, even if it comes into half of that or three-quarters of that, that changes everything dramatically. What we wouldn't want to us, a bigger failure for this couple, is not spending on fun while they can. Waiting until 70, which what the wife wants to do, is rife with its own risk. And that is by time you get to 71 or both of you are no longer here, or you might be here, but unable to enjoy your go-go. That has always been what I hated about the approach to retirement planning. And that's how we're going to approach the answer next month, that week. Next week for everyone else. <laughs> next month for you and I, because yes. we've recorded this ahead of time. But for everyone else, it'll be a time warp, and we'll cover it just next week. So thanks, everybody, for uh, listening in, and hopefully this has been of some interest to you. If so, we're going to continue our discussion with more of our proposed solution or approach next time. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back with you next week with a brand-new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now, you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. 